This is the Muso Mental Health Podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting to Samantha McShane today. Sam is a really good pal of mine from our Royal Conservatory of Scotland days. We both studied in the same year, um, but she is actually now the head of artistic planning at the RCS and was former head of programming at Manchester Camerata, assistant orchestra manager at the RSNO, as well as being a top-notch professional French horn player. Thanks so much for joining, <laughs> Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Laura. Uh, absolutely loving that you're doing this. I think it's so, so important that we have these kind of conversations. And when I was listening to the previous episodes and I was listening to your voice, I was like, Laura should be on the radio. So you sound <laughs> perfect for it. It's brilliant. Well, certainly as a new mum these days, I feel like I've got the face for radio. Oh, <laughs> where you go. I'd rather be hidden Don't behind the microphone. Absolutely. <laughs> no, thank you so much for joining. I'm really interested to kind of um, catch up with you on a whole host of things, um, particularly just because you've had such a diverse career already. Mm. And I mean, mm-hmm. you and I are practically exactly the same age. We've got birthdays that are quite close together. Is that That's right. Place. I'm end of January and you're in February. That's right, yeah. yeah. That? That? So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's I'd impressive. Love to, <laughs> so I'd love to hear just a bit about your musical story to start off with. That's kind of what I've been doing with everybody. Um, could you tell me a bit about how you started in music? Um, what drew you to music? Do you come from a musical background? All this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I don't come from like a musical family at all. Um, I've got, you know, uncles and things that love bringing out the guitar at Christmas time and singing. And I've got an uncle who loves like to do Elvis impersonations, random. Um, but yeah, like, so going into, I started at primary school and, you know, we did that thing of like trying out with a brass instructor coming in and tried it out. And I was just handed, like it was a tenor horn at that point. Um, and at that point, I remember just being like, oh, it's shiny. This is good. <laughs> um, and then I think I realised that, like, that was kind of, I don't know, maybe like primary five or something. And then when I went on to high school, then you realise, oh, God, this is actually not cool, you know? <laughs> um, and so, but I really enjoyed my lessons and I felt like it was something that, I just really enjoyed and I think more than anything else like it was the people that I met through music um, particularly in like high school and I just sort of became one of those kind of music geeks that was always in the music department at high school and absolutely loved all the teachers and for the first few years like I think there was various points where I thought nah this isn't for me you know like at that teenage point where you think oh I want to be like just out like with friends and it's not very cool anymore and and I remember trying to use all sorts of excuses to get out of uh playing horn like I've got asthma and then the the teacher sort of replied but asthma is it's actually really good for asthma playing a wind instrument or brass (laughs) instrument like damn it um but then when I went to high school, I had some brilliant um, teachers and, as I say, made some amazing friends. And at that point, I had no, like, real idea that, you know, going into it as a profession was 
really a thing. Like I was so, so naive about it, um, which is probably a good thing, I guess, at that age. Um, so I ended up going to uh, RCS Juniors um, where I think I started to realise, you know, at school I was like probably considered to be like quite good. And then you go to juniors and you're like, oh, God, there's loads of people here that are like really, really talented. And then I guess like the reality of, right, you really need to start putting in practice and, and all of these things and dedicating your full Saturday to it. Again, meeting new people, which was amazing. Um, but I did, I have to say, like when I went to juniors at RCS, I did feel like I wasn't, like it wasn't my natural environment. There was a lot of people there that, um, for example, went to private schools and um, did various courses that they, they all had knew each other for years. And I, I guess I sort of came to a wee bit later than, than most people. So even at that stage at junior school, I kind of felt a wee bit like a fish out of water. That's you know, so just... relatable, Sam. Because whereabouts in Scotland are you from? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. Uh, I come from originally Wishaw in North Lanarkshire. Sure. Which is also known as Pishy Wishy. <laughs> 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 so I grew up in Denny. Uh -huh. um, and exactly the same as you. I was at juniors and I'd forgotten we'd gone to juniors together. Um, I went to high school, was definitely one of the higher ability people in music at high school it was not cool to play mm. classical violin at school um and i went to juniors and was like oh there's lots of like-minded people here however we'd never have been able to afford to go had i not had funding from my council mm. and help from the music staff at school and all of these different things that actually made it possible for me to go and yet there were loads of people at juniors who like you say went to private school and knew each other really well and I mean I'd never heard of NIOS yeah same yeah you know that's for anyone listening is the National Youth Orchestra of Scotland you know I'd never heard of any of these things and like you I didn't know music could be done as a career so yeah. that's that's really interesting that you felt the same yeah and I think like looking back and you know we'll be talking about mental health like looking back that has been a huge factor and like my own kind of self-identity and like knowing who I am and questioning that because I think that even from that young age being put into a kind of classical music environment and not feeling like you should be there because you come from you know a different sort of background to, to a lot of people that are in it you're then I found myself being you know trying to change who I was to fit into this group of people and um god i'm not that you know i'm not saying that everyone was like that god you you know you're in the same situation laura um i was but, but i also felt like i had to behave differently speak differently yeah I, um i i didn't feel like i was important enough or um special enough to be there yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't down to being there with people from private school or being there with people who had had those experiences before me it was just that the whole environment felt so intimidating yeah. and so um far removed from what my own background and upbringing had been 
that my own imposter syndrome took over is it does that sound kind of simple yeah to you? 100% like that whole imposter syndrome thing but then sort of moving into so after juniors I had no I had no idea what I was going to do in my last year of school so um, and I hadn't put any applications in for uni or whatever um, but then I got told that I could apply late for the RCS and go and study French horn so I did that, got in, they were short horn players, um, so I was lucky, I got in, um, and I think from that point, you know, from starting RCS, which was absolutely brilliant, like amazing experience at RCS, had a great head of department, had great teachers, so much support there, but I think, you know, this sort of feeling like um, the odd one out or not really knowing like where I fit in and trying to pretend to be this you know this class this people's idea of a classical musician like that journey for me throughout those year years saw me then doing things like drinking ridiculous ridiculous amounts sorry my, my headphones just fell out and <laughs> um, drinking drinking ridiculous amounts to try and like be myself and try and fit in somehow um, you know my mental health from even from a teenager had had been quite bad but as a result of all of these things going on and it's the same for anyone going to uni but I think things started to get quite bad then but music to be honest at RCS music and the people that I met and I was in a brass quintet called Pure Brass at the time and that group of people were just like my people and um, were really supportive and all of that and I absolutely adored it I loved playing but ultimately um, so when I kind of I guess in my my kind of later years at RCS I started getting some freelance work and we were gigging loads with the quintet and I had this sort of I still call it like a kind of psychological issue with playing which was so when I went to produce a note you take in a breath and I couldn't let the air go. It was almost like I was thinking too much. Like if there was a conductor in front of me, fine, I could do it. But in any other situation, I just couldn't release. It was almost like having a stutter, but when playing a musical instrument. So I went to see loads of people about that. Um, and But at the same time, when I was gigging, I was just like, uh, it's just playing on my mind so much like I don't know you know if I'm enjoying it as much as I used to so that's when I started to look into like the the dark side of of management yeah haven't looked back since really really enjoy it that's so interesting everything you shared there because obviously I knew pure brass very well mm. um, and I would have had no idea about any of that until you actually telling me now uh, mm. and yet our year at university was so small yeah it was 30 of us really yeah but people yeah. just people hide so 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 much absolutely and sometimes that's okay because sometimes you need to work through these things at your own pace and being mm. open about it all the time can make you feel too vulnerable yeah um, but it's that feeling of never being allowed to be vulnerable that is just such it needs to be a culture change within our industry because we're only human beings at the yeah. end of the day yes what we do means an awful lot to us and yes our 
our industry is built so much on emotion, but that doesn't yeah. mean that we should be having to suppress how we're feeling if it's negative. Yeah, 100%. I still feel like, so I go to like coaching and stuff to just try and like help me with challenges that I faced in my job. And I have to say, I still feel like, you know, you have to put on a face. Like I'll always be a yes person, I think. Um, and I have to accept that. And, you know, sometimes it's to my own detriment. But there ha- that I, I struggle with this a lot and I'm still struggling with it. There has to be a point where, you know, you allow that facade to, to come down and to be like, I, you know, to, to share your feelings or to be vulnerable or to be allowed to be that vulnerable person. Um, you know, because as freelancers and um, musicians and the jobs that, that, that we're in, you're, you're making things happen. You're involved in a show. You're involved in, you know, so that is almost like assumed that you will have that face of, oh, yeah, no problem. I can do that. When really inside, you're like, this is going to kill me. It's fascinating to think how many people would be sat in a room or even in an ensemble and all putting on that facade of Mm. I'm okay I can do this but actually if we were to delve underneath the surface and actually ask each other how are you doing how are you feeling about it it would be interesting to see how many people were actually okay Mm. what a kind of what an experiment that would be um with with that all in mind would you say that you had ever felt like giving up from music completely and going off and doing something else uh, where, where have you been with that over the years <laughs> yeah big time I've had that quite a lot the thing is is that you'll know this like music is such I feel like it's such a big part of my identity such a huge part and like my ego within me when I've thought about leaving music is like well where does that leave you who are you if you don't have music in your life? What will people think of that? You know, are you just like, you know, because I've thought a lot about it, especially over the pandemic. And when things get tough, you know, I'll always question, are you just trying to, you know, move out of this because things are tough right now? Or is it genuinely because it's what you want? The stress and pressure, I would say of like all the jobs I've had, it's really, really intense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it takes a lot away from you. It takes a lot of your, your energy. You're like, sometimes like you feel like you're giving away a wee bit of your soul when you have to be like, that sounds so dramatic. But like when, just say like in my current job where you're dealing with like highly, highly creative, emotional people mm-hmm. and that's fine. But when you're the person that's constantly trying to move forward with something or try to appease situations or whatever else, it takes a wee bit from you every time. So I have thought about it a lot. I am actually at the moment, and this isn't to say that I'm moving away from music or thinking of changing jobs or anything else, but I am currently um, doing a bit of training for a qualification in fitness because that is something that I absolutely adore and has helped me throughout my own mental health journey. In fact, I would say it's, and this isn't necessarily healthy, but 
I would say it's a bit of an addiction. Um, the whole like going to the gym thing. You could call it an addiction or you could call it another passion because what's to say that being passionate about exercise is any different than being passionate about music? You know, yeah. we when we were at Junior Conservatoire were given up entire Saturdays for our entire teenage years to go and exclusively study music in every single form. So, mm. you know, I think there's a bit of a uh, a stigma attached to that too I think as long as you know that you're in control of it yeah then why shouldn't you enjoy it to that degree yeah the thing is though that when I think about that and I've thought about potentially moving away from music I just love it so much and I think when you're around it and you're doing it all the time you just don't realize you know you maybe like forget the amazing people that you work with the amazing concerts that you go to everything that comes with it but you just take it for granted sometimes I think but the stress and the pressure is real like it's mental and all the evenings and weekends and everything else it is a tough job for sure. So how would you say you cope with the change in nature of the job because I mean becoming a musician is such a um, multifaceted thing it impacts on every single part of your life professional personal mental physical like you say when you were struggling to actually release the air to produce a note all this kind of thing how would you say you cope with the change in nature of being a musician because whether you work in arts administration or you're a teacher or you know you're any of these things you know so often performers are considered to be the elite and those of us that are not working at that front line of performing um perhaps don't get considered to have the same kind of strains that are there and actually they're very real for very different reasons so mm. you know how would you say you cope with the change in nature of your job um how do i cope that's a really good question well first of all i need to constantly have words with myself like I need to constantly like so I am just naturally a huge overthinker a huge worrier there's so much going on up here so sometimes I need to just like you know have a word with myself and to help manage that stress so when you say um, have a word with yourself do you mean rationalize it or what do you mean when you say that I think what I try and do is take myself out of situations sometimes and think of like the bigger picture of things. I think as a musician, you put an extreme amount of pressure on yourself because you've been trained to be this sort of like perfection or as, as close as you can be to that. So I think like our level of our like sort of standards and level is extremely high. It's not normal, like wh whether I'm talking about performing or, you know, doing the kind of job that I do in, in arts management, it's not normal, sustainable, achievable, I would say even, to have that level of performance all of the time. Absolutely. So, so I think like having a word with myself sometimes about like, you can't do everything all of the time. Like you can't be everything to everyone as well. 
And I think that I, I also like worry hugely about what other people think, something that I'm, I'm working on. But, you know, I think to myself often, oh, will, will that person think I'm really rubbish at my job if, you know, I don't do this or, or if I don't say this? <laughs> exactly. You can totally relate. I absolutely can. Um, so I think like that talking to myself as well as like just pure distraction. So like doing things like going out for walks, like even if I can't be bothered, just being like, you know that you will feel better if you just go out and don't think about this thing for 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. Like, I think distract, distraction for me is how like I cope. And I think ultimately that's a good thing because it's distracting me to other things that I enjoy. So it's all about that kind of work-life balance that I think we as musicians are terrible at. Yeah. There was, I've always kind of found it hard to um, split myself off from the personal side of music and the professional side and how the relationships with people always blur one into the other with that. Mm -hmm. and particularly when some of us have known each other since we were kids. I mean, you and I have known each other since we were, what, 14? Yeah, yeah. Is there a bit of it? Like, that's 20 years of, you know, studying together, working together, hanging out together, all of these different things. You know, it's it's very intensive. So yeah. I think having some um, removing yourself mm-hmm. from it sometimes. Do you find that you're able to leave your work at work or do you... <laughs> Are you bringing it home with you or? Um, I definitely, I'll bring it home with me, but then I have to find a way to like kind of let it go. Um, I don't always achieve that. So like I might just sit down and like just put on some music and try and listen to it or like have a chat with Jamie and he'll be like, listen, in the grand scheme of things, like you can just drop this for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is so and I think for years I used alcohol absolutely absolutely used alcohol um, and like especially you know after the day's work just have a drink unfortunately I'm one of those people that when I have a drink I can find it quite difficult to stop um, so at weekends I would just like go out drink until I couldn't stop and then waste like a full day the next day and then it would make me feel absolutely awful about it so I had to find new ways and that's I think where the gym came in new ways of dealing with things um, but it's still a thing it's totally still a thing so if I've had a really difficult day I'll say to Jamie I need a glass of wine and I'm like I know that's not the right way I know that's not for me that that doesn't work because ultimately it just makes me feel worse because I know I'll just drink and drink and drink and um, awareness that awareness is so powerful because I think if you have that awareness there it enables you to make better choices and that's without me trying to sound like I'm some kind of expert in this I didn't actually drink at all at university yeah yeah I remember um my father was a journalist and it was similar culture to being a musician um you know you were constantly on the job and like I lost my father to alcoholism and it frightened me so much at the idea of, of of something being so powerful that it could take away one of my parents that I avoided it and kind of went to the other extreme and was frightened of it for a long time and then realized that I was able to enjoy it but I was about 22 23 and as a result of all of that I actually cut myself off from a lot of social situations at university 
whereby yeah. had I felt comfortable in that position, maybe I would have been able to talk about things more openly with friends or or just been able to separate myself from working all of the time. So, you know, I know what you're saying there, absolutely, but there's that's the opposite extreme to it as well. And that's not the right answer either. I don't think there is a right answer to this kind of thing. But having yeah. that awareness of where you stand with it can make such a difference for you to make an informed choice afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I, I think, think that being Scottish as well, being Scottish, yeah. I think that's such a huge part of our culture. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like the pressure's there. Yeah, I think that, that, you know, I tend to be an all or nothing type of, type of person. And what I've, what I've been, you know, trying to do for quite a while is like find that middle ground. Like not everything has to be extreme. Um, and I think, you know, with the, so I've gone through periods of like not drinking at all and then thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to go out with people because I'm not having a drink. But what you said about the, you know, not feeling comfortable to, to say something, I think the aim should be, this is just my thoughts, I think the aim should be to, to be able to be just completely yourself and not have to have a drink to say something or to do something or, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it all comes back to like that kind of whole self identity thing and really knowing yourself and feeling comfortable enough to like share who you are and how you feel and um I you know that another thing is that that, that with a coping mechanism is um I you know take medication for depression and anxiety um and that before I started taking them you know some of the things that that some of the experiences that I would have I remember speaking to someone about it and them saying, I don't think that that's normal, whatever normal is, um, and saying, maybe you should go and speak to your doctor. So I did. And since I've been since I've been taking them, which is for many years now, I do find it much easier to cope in general. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because I also take medication for anxiety and depression and I wish I'd started taking them sooner. Yeah. I didn't realize that I could still I, I didn't realize I think the self-identity part of it is so powerful there I didn't realize who I was mm. until mm-hmm. I started taking them because it calmed an awful lot of the chemical imbalance that was obviously there for me mm-hmm. down to be able to feel like oh I don't need to feel terrible all the time yeah but the stigma attached to medication is just so but why like it used to be but it's so prominent still it is so prominent I'm not are you yeah it is so prominent and you know what that sort of like what you've just said is like the stigma it's like social media and the world that we live in has just completely like blown up with that regard with what I mean is you know people being judgmental people being extreme about what their views and opinions are and like people saying this is the most ridiculous you know it's ridiculous to take antidepressants or any medication for anxiety or whatever because it just numbs you and people go out there with all these views and opinions but see at the end of the day it's completely your decision what you do with your life and what you do to make things better for yourself like literally who cares 
like if someone doesn't agree with it like it, it's just yeah it's mental how people think that they can be part of someone's personal decision I mean if you if you fall and break your leg you put a cast on it and you take painkillers to, to yeah. make yourself feel better your mind should be no different if you need medication in order to make yourself better because it is an illness mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that that's what they're there for so yeah yeah so unbelievably powerful what you just said um within your job at the rcs as head of artistic planning and the experiences that you've had having actually studied there as a junior um and also for your degree what's what would you say the influences that you have on the future generations of musicians coming through within your role because i'd be really fascinated to hear about that yeah it's a good question so obviously there's so many people that the students engage with and are supported by rcs but um so the artistic planning team that i head up it's all sort of um I want to say young. I don't really consider myself as being young, but youngish. We you are know. young. We are young, Sam. Don't go down that road. <laughs> youngish people in the team. And I think that we all are maybe just like a wee bit different to the kind of stereotype of an RCS professor or whatever. And I think that a lot of people come into our department to, you know, either sort of share anxieties or to help with certain issues or whatever. And I know that I have over the past, what now, five years of being there, helped a lot of people who are just on the cusp of leaving and who are like, right, okay, I'm about to leave now. What do I do? Like, how do I go about? I think I've got an idea of something, but I don't really know how to achieve that. And I think that there is still a wee bit of an issue in the grading system and all that side of things within classical music in that it's like, you know, you do your first study, you do your second study and you go through these grades and you've got a wee bit of, you can make a choice in the piece that you play, but it still has to be within this list. At RCS, what I've seen over recent years is that students aren't necessarily, they don't want to do that anymore. I think they want to they want to take who they are as a person and really develop it and like speak their truth when they're you know whether they're an instrumentalist or whether they're going to pair that with being a singer or whether they're going into like the sort of whatever genre of music or maybe no genre of music at all maybe they're going to do something different so I am like so you know one thing I'm really passionate about is that the classical music world is, is and can be so many different things. And Laura, you know, the kind of, the, the work that you do encompasses a huge range of that, you know? Um, you work with all different types of musicians at Sistema, you know, all of these things is what a musician can be. It's a portfolio and, career these days, isn't it? You know, it's, exactly. I, I went into music college determined that I would have a job in an orchestra and that was it yeah um, I I didn't think that I would ever be a teacher I didn't think I was patient enough I didn't think I was knowledgeable enough mm -hmm. I didn't think I was clever enough to be a teacher um but I felt like if I kept practicing and I kept working at my instrument maybe one day I'd get into an orchestra and 
then I started going for orchestral auditions and just couldn't take it seriously. And I know that sounds awful, but I couldn't get my head around. It's, it's like this grading thing you were talking about before. I couldn't get my head around the fact that you would practice for hundreds of hours for that one audition and mm-hmm. then go and do the audition. And at that point, when I was auditioning, so that, I mean, I haven't done an orchestral audition now for a long time, well over a decade. At that point, it felt like they'd already made up their mind as soon as I'd walked in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then they'd be listening to perhaps maybe three minutes of music and they would have already made up their mind. And I couldn't get over that in my head. It was all I was thinking about when I was playing. And fair play to people who can actually get through that process and get to the other side of it, having then done a trial for however long and then got the job or not got the job. Because for me personally, I couldn't put myself through that. I couldn't deal with the disappointment and with feeling like I had failed somehow at my instrument. And that's the thing that I've always found really fascinating about music assessment as a teacher now. I don't see how you could ever grade music because someone's exam is one person's opinion of one performance that you've done of that piece on one day, yeah, right? And any number of factors can influence what the outcome of that grade is gonna be. It comes down to how the musician performing is playing, but also how the musician that's grading is feeling, you know? And any number of factors can get in the way of that. And the thing that I'll never forget is that when I got my grade sheet for my degree, Hey, I found, if we're talking about first and second study, I found that I had got a hugely higher mark on my second study, which was the viola. And I'd only been learning it for about nine months. <laughs> the choice was either learn the viola, do a dissertation or do Baroque violin. And I had to think to myself, hmm, what's going to be more useful to me in the long run yeah. as, a, as a musician? And I figured the viola was probably the the most useful to me leaving music school but I got a higher grade on the viola and all I did was play one piece and I genuinely thought I'd honked it out when yeah. I performed it and I think at that point I'd got something like a 5m which was uh-huh. a, quite a high grade and I didn't get that for my degree instrument for the violin on a program that I'd spent months preparing practicing working my entire degree towards and you just think I, but I would have gone back and played that again another time and it yeah. would have been a completely different performance again so yeah I and do I, you think do you think Laura that that um so just at the end of your recital do you think that your identity your vision as a musician like all of those things were able to be shown absolutely not exactly not. exactly absolutely and that for me is just absolutely wild. And I still think, you know, I just that, you know, it's but you're a musician. It's about, you know, showing who you are. It's about your creative outlet. Like people want to see and hear musicians. Like people find like you guys fascinating. And the fact that, you know, I would say still that. People, you know, young people are coming through a system sometimes where they're just doing what they're told to do instead of developing them as like this creative being, like really show your personality, really, you know, all of those things. I just feel like it's crazy. I I completely agree. Um, Music college for me was about kind of 
trying to work out who I was at a very young age, particularly in Scotland. And I know you can relate to this because we would have been 16 auditioning to go yeah. and 17 for most of first year. So that's quite young when yeah. you consider um, how much later uh, young people go to university in England. Um, but I still can't get my head around the fact that my final recital was I can't remember the percentage, but it was a very high percentage of my overall degree. Yeah. I spent four years studying the ins and outs of everything to do with music and the violin and music history and, you know, oral training and all these different things. And then it came down to that one performance on one day. And it was the opinion of, I think, three people, maybe mm. not even three. And that's that's crackers because that doesn't define who you are as a musician. So I kind of liken my music degree performance now to passing my driving test. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah. You learn how to drive when mm -hmm. you're out and about in the car day to day. That doesn't define who you are as a driver. Yeah, you do your test. You know, and see that thing of like. Um... You know, all, everything, not everything's resting on that because there are other things, but it is a high percentage if you, um, yeah, just say you're at a conservatoire or whatever. I think that presenting something, you know, a classical programme or whatever it is and doing it in a certain way and on this particular date at this particular time, that is just literally giving you boundaries to work within instead of being able to express yourself, which, yeah. But I do think that, I absolutely think that things are changing. And, you know, I've seen some incredible, you know, end of year recitals and things where people have really gone all out and they're really showing like who they are as a musician. But I just feel like, yeah, it, there could be so much more of that. And that leads, you know, that idea of like the, the pressure to conform to what a, what a violinist is or a French horn player is is inevitably making people think I need to act in a particular way, I need to do a certain thing. And that then leads to mental health issues, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't have put any of that better myself. I think actually knowing that you have permission to be you. Yes. Not, not, yes. And I mean I didn't feel this way, but um or I wasn't made to feel this way. I thought I had to be this way. I yeah. thought I had to be my teacher's version of a violinist. And if I couldn't do it the way that my teacher could, then I wasn't good enough. And I mm. didn't realise that I was allowed to be me. And mm -hmm. that wasn't the feeling of my teacher because she was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It was just that I had, it had never occurred to me that I was allowed to have my own mind. <laughs> yeah, and she, uh, totally. she tried to bring that out of me. And it took me well into adulthood to realise that actually I was allowed to play the way I wanted to play. Yeah. And that was God, I'm still looking for permission, even now. Look for permission all the time. Like, can I do this? Well, why not? Exactly. So just to kind of round off this particular part here, what would your advice be to anyone that's looking to start out in the music industry or even looking to come and study at a conservatoire mm -hmm. level and, you know, is coming out of school, particularly after the pandemic and is thinking, right, I want to do this as a career, but, you know, if you were talking to your 17-year-old self now, mm -hmm. what advice would you be given? I'd be saying, first of all, keep as open a mind as possible and go to and experience as much as you possibly can. 
And once, you know, when you're doing that, really have a think about what is your passion? Like, yes, you know, it might be playing the French horn or playing the clarinet or whatever, but where, like, where do you want to go with it? And what do you want to do with it? And really, really thinking about that. And I think people have to choose like far, far too early in their lives about like where they want to go and what they want to do. But I never thought about any of that sort of thing. You know, who I wanted to be, like what are my values as a person, as a musician, you know, all of those things, I would say just really think hard about them and listen to listen to people that have got experience of it but also don't let people with experience give you limitations and say that won't work or you can't do that or you can't be that because that's usually that's usually bullshit don't listen to that do what you want to do that's their opinion you know we're we're all for um taking on advice or taking on um somebody else's opinion but actually if it's something that doesn't resonate with you Mm. you are allowed to feel that way yeah absolutely well thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting to you definitely thanks so much Lauren.